0: she articulated something that spoke so clearly to me it was as if she had turned my face and whispered it right in my ear you know and she said at a certain moment for the person who has lost everything whether that means a being or a country language becomes the country one enters the country of words
1: I remember this one panel discussion, I was the only black uh woman in it. And I would love I would love just to see all the different um the different images of what we
2: look like, what Irishness looks like. Everything about Dublin or about migration is is faster and a bit more like I belong here, see? Like look, I wrote a poem. Literature
3: represents the structures of society as well. It, you know, there are, we know there's lack of opportunities on equal access. This is true of literature as well.
4: With poets and editors from Nigeria, Zimbabwe, India, and South Africa, we'll take an in-depth look at diversity in Irish writing and publishing will reflect on the power of language to shape identity and the connection between writing and social change. We'll see if there are things that we could be doing better and of course, we'll be hearing poetry.
5: Because maybe you won't make it to the night or past that checkpoint if you're caught out howling your fear and pride at the moon.
4: Christy Kandiwa, aka KCK, is a 21 year old poet and singer songwriter. She's been published in Seventh Wave magazine, Crossways Literary magazine, and in the Writing Home anthology of New Irish Writers, which we'll hear more about later on. In 2020, she read at the Mother Tongues Festival and at the Irish Literary Festival in Dublin, and she's been awarded the Dublin Fringe Dream Anniversary. Her poems draw on East African folklore and a language spoken in Zimbabwe called Shona.
1: I love, I love always finding out about like folklore, Shona folklore. Um, and I've always spoken Shona, but it's always been kind of like basic, you know, like, hello, just to keep a conversation going, but not to write. So a big challenge of mine for the past two years uh, was to actually start practicing writing in Shona, And that's what I've been doing now. So a lot of the time is playing around with language, And that's language that I wouldn't speak per se, but language I understand from listening to music or from sometimes my sister actually started buying me books because I wanted to learn so much. So I pick bits and sentences that I really like and try to flesh it out a little bit more. The poem is called That Thing With Thorns. Break your bones at the ticking of the clock, but know that unless you call a war, your freedom lies beyond your skin. And unless it breaks and spills and a life is given, freedom will keep tasting like defying oneself. Compromise. The ticking of your bones will echo on arched backs and piled bodies that have tied their lives to the fray trims of a fragile thing like safety. Ndopa chowona iye wachona Chine manyanga washodzi no bosso. Moyo dzichingorova hanzi tarire rinoroya chihuno. Chete chakaputirwa. Na manje mbeu dzenyu dzine munhu iwe kuora nekuravira isu chirakadzi kasina manje achifukotirwe So actually the main idiom in this was um you say it as chinemanyanga chiputirwe and it says Literally, it says that, that that thing with thorns you can't hide it. Like you can't, you can't ever cover it because the horns will always come out. The identities that I expect myself to carry with me when I say I'm, you know, I'm Zimbabwean, aren't maybe as strong as I imagine they should be, but they are still as important, and they they really do mould me into the person I am. So that's that's where Lana um, Wevu started. Nguanawevu, the child of the earth. This soil is my own. Red like the blood of my ancestors and orange like the tongues of fire, moulded from full fists of earth and rocks, I have now become the meninity of my own visage. I am the terracotta of the god, broken and burnt, ground into dust like a brown-sugared virago. I have come to realise that these winds not only bear the whispers of the trees, but the secrets of the spirits that let my past slip away between the fingers of Ira. I've rooted myself here long enough. I now recognize them as my thoughts. The soil is mine. I am a skinwalker of my own lineage. <laughs>
4: Nidhi Zach Ariepe is an editor with The Stinging Fly and has had poems published in Banshee, Poetry Ireland Review, the Irish Times and the Massey Journal. She is the recipient of the inaugural Ireland Chair of Poetry Student Prize and was highly commended in the Patrick Kavanagh Poetry Award 2019. Her first collection of poetry is being published this year by Faber and & Faber and she's helped to create, with Ski & Press, a new initiative which we'll talk about a little later in the programme.
0: It's actually funny, like, I, I didn't use to write poetry at all. Um, when I started, so I, I came to Ireland to do a, an MFA in Creative Writing at UCD. And when I started the programme, I went in with um, a bit of a novel, you know, because that's what I thought all serious writers do, is they write novels, so I went in with a bit of a novel and um, when I moved here to so my mum, uh, was actually sick when I moved here. She was, she had an illness and I was here two weeks and she actually passed away. Yeah. And so I went back to, um, for the funeral and I was about 10 days. I was back home and I came back here and I, I knew absolutely nobody. You know, <laughs> I had literally just landed, um, and found somewhere to, store my suitcase and then had to go back and and in the in the program we were supposed to you know um be submitting like 1500 words every week and and be workshopping these things and when I when I landed here again I just I felt like I lost all my capacity for language I just could not find any words within myself and I thought this is terrible I'm going to have to defer the program I'm not going to be able to sit there and not produce anything you know which is what I came for and um, I had incredibly generous teachers that year we were with them and Enright had just joined the faculty and we also had uh, Sinead Gleason and Paul Perry and they were all wonderful and they just said you know write whatever comes to you and so I started out writing these little fragments they weren't even grammatically like finished you know they were just whatever would come they were they were sort of dreams mixed with um, memories and um, just fragments of things that would come to me and I started writing them down and I think it was only in February or March that of the next year that they evolved into some sort of you know poetic form and then I realized that I could actually do something with them. I believe humans to be part plant, part animal, part fruit, part flesh. We need to be rooted to survive. Constantly torn from my soil before I was right, I developed traits akin to a chimera. Split, yet whole in a larger sense. Missing, though complete, within a greater frame. This is how I learned to turn to the inside. Listening for voices in the troubled breath of night. Telling stories to keep the monsters at bay. Singing myself to sleep. This is how I stumbled into the country of words. It is undeniably human, this want, to seek shelter, to take refuge, to belong. There are so many storms, after all, and all I can give you are words. The words allow me to stand in the doorway, hold out a hand, invite you into a rush of intimacy. Listen, they let me stay. Trust me. Language is body. Language is mother. Language is love. We can lay down in secret with it. its soft syllables out in our mouths. We can make ourselves known through it, announce ourselves present. We can come in from the rain, sing clear into the night. Listen, call it home, and we can find our way back together through this dark. I actually didn't study literature in university, I studied philosophy. And I still always turn to philosophy when I need um, some sort of comfort or answers or something like this, which people find quite strange. But there's this uh, essay by Helen Sissou, a French philosopher. And after my mum died, I wasn't actually able to read um, much, but I could read little bits of things from here and there and so one of the things that I read was a book of essays by her and she articulated something that spoke so clearly to me it was as if she had turned my face and whispered it right in my ear you know and she said at a certain moment for the person who has lost everything whether that means a being or a country language becomes the country one enters the country of words
4: Chandrika Narayanan Mohan is an arts manager, writer and spoken word performer from India. She's participated in the Irish Writers' Centre's Exporters Accord programme, been published in the Writing Home Anthology, and is the first guest editor of Trumpet, a Poetry Ireland publication.
2: Plane train. Legging it off the plane to be the first in line, striding through the airport. Queuing for hours, itchy feet, until bland face official looks, types, doesn't smile, stamps, anxiety subsides. But today I am kissing the earth with speed, velvet hills whipping past in poison green and bruise lip blues, and the only signs a-crossing is a text on my screen, but my face gives away what my birthright lacks, so I keep a hold of my passport as we slip down the tracks, just in case the wind changes direction. There is a slight manic aspect to writing about a place where you're trying to prove you belong, whereas it's a little calmer to go back into my own memory because those things have already happened and there's nothing to prove there. I think even everything about Dublin or about migration is is faster and a bit more like, I belong here, see, like, look, I wrote a poem. read you city you boyfriend okay. seated awkwardly on a wooden box worn the last of my cigarettes my fifth in 2 hours he talks and talks and talks and my replies are only punctuation for his next sentence across from a gray slab tower the city smirks raises an eyebrow as if to say you know i'm so much better than him and you're right Because when we converse through the choke of soft air we exhale each other in whispers on a walk home where a smile has broken my face from the realisation that yes, you are better than him. You are better than all of them because you push up through my thin soles and I feel every pebble when I'm treading across your tar-bump skin and I feel embedded in you. You city, you boyfriend, you dusty hug. And when I tell you that you're beautiful, you blush across the canal, even though you already know that grey glamour suits you and you don't need to be told. I wear you like an arm across my shoulder. And when the wind pushes my hair back, I don't need an errant hand across a cafe table to push it aside. Like me, you play your cards close to your chest, but when we mourn, we crack, and the rain pummels onto the pavements and across a million cheap umbrellas. So take me in and make me yours, because I've already let the pawn in my pores anoint me to an orchestra of rustling leaves and seagull song, and one day I will take thee to be my lawful wedded home, and I shall wear a dress of summer fog and a ring of past lives, and you will smile and shrug. And in your humid indifference, I will vow to love you anyway. Because I'm a hopeless romantic, and you're a city that keeps its own name. That's the thing about writing loads of sort of love letters to Dublin. That was my way of like sort of sinking my claws in and going, I belong here, this is my anchor. I only just got a stamp for last year, before, and which means that you can... Live and work freely. You still have to go every single year and get your thing renewed, and which can go either way, which costs money, etc. But um, every year before that, for eight years, I was wondering if I, what country I was going to be in every year, if I was going to get kicked out, um, just because these, the rules change so often. So my childhood hairdresser was a drag queen my godfathers are a gay couple and so I didn't care my whole life (laughs) like um so it's almost the opposite I was a little too apathetic about like queer rights and things like that because I didn't struggle the way most people have and uh yeah I come from um a really progressive Indian family so people assume the stereotype and I'm like not really we're all really progressive um one of the first things I did in that in that sense was I performed during um for by visibility day for by ireland and i was like okay i'll perform for you guys and i was like oh this was really nice and everyone here is really lovely um but yeah there is a little bit of like i I can't see myself cemented into any group because it's just an alien thing to me just for my whole life you know (laughs) not just from being in ireland but they are there and they are brilliant um so i guess anyone who feels like they're alone they don't have to be you know they are some great people that will show them the way and introduce. I mean, that's the one good thing about Ireland. You ask one person, i will recommend you to another, and eventually you'll find the group you're looking for, the person you're looking for. Like that's what I did for trumpet. You know, in terms of sourcing, I'm like, right, I want this kind of person, I want this kind of voice, and you know, one or two or three degrees of separation. I'm like, yep, there you are. I knew I'd find you. I just need to ask the right people.
4: The edition of Trumpet Chandrika spoke about contains reflections on poetry and parenthood, on poetry and activism, on games and narrative, plus book reviews, a comic strip, more poems and photographs. You can get a copy from the Poetry Ireland website.
5: I'm reading from The Misrecognition of Bodies as Thorns in Four Parts. Three. What does it mean to love your neighbor as you love yourself? If every sunrise doesn't come singing, you can get out of bed today, because maybe you shouldn't, since each morning is a constant visceral assault of mortality, and you blend into the night, and lullabies ring out like elegies or sirens, because maybe you won't make it through the night or past that checkpoint if you're caught out howling your fear and pride at the moon. And there is death and danger in the face of everything that moves at you and breathes deep and heavy so that there is no air left for your heaving lungs. 4. What does it mean to love your neighbour as you love yourself? Is it a slow blossoming, like a delayed blessing? Or is it to become an injury? It hurt like the gaping ground of an expanding fault line. Settle into devastation. Christian your soul victim or try to be whole again.
4: Chiamaka Enya Amadi, reading her poem, The Misrecognition of Bodies as Thorns, which was published in the Massey Journal. Chiamaka is a Lagos-born, Galway-raised and Dublin-based writer. She teaches poetry with fighting words and co-edited with Pat Boren, the anthology Writing Home, the New Irish Poets, published by Dadalus Press. In 2019, she was awarded the Poetry Ireland Court Bursary and she's had work published in the Poetry Ireland Review, RTE's poetry programme, The Irish Times and in the anthology The Art of the Glimpse, edited by Sinead Leeson.
5: You're caught between hyper visibility and invisibility, you know. You're caught between having you know your your having your your experiences and your narratives erased from any kind of like positive media, um, and then on the other side, you feel that you feel. Especially in social spaces, you feel very lots of eyes on you. you feel very looked at, you feel very observed. We came here, and I was ten at the time, and just just became a process of um learning a new culture and learning about you know the people around you and the, learning how to fit into society and you know sometimes you don't fit sometimes you stick out um and you know that can be difficult and I think for me writing was a really great um just like companion for when I felt um lonely and alienated um yeah I really I really turned to literature and I've always had that um you know in my life thanks to especially my father who you know Who's always loved books and surrounded us with, you know, great works of literature, um, from, from all over the world. You know, we read Japanese lit, we read, um, British literature, um, we knew about, we knew Yeats, um, we knew about Beckett, um, As well as you know, African literature as well, like all all the greats, Nadia Chebez, the the Amaata Edos, the um, Ngugawa Tiongo. Um, Yeah, my father really made sure that we had a really rich diet um, of of just great ideas and really rich narratives. Each time, we are old strangers, equipped with questions to connect new dots. After all, we hacked the love algorithm once before. What are the odds of us not getting sick of each other? What are the odds of getting to a place where all our attempts to escape cease? Sure, you take the piss. Keep saying, this kind of carry-on will make you end it all. You'd sooner dig deeper, grimace at some dormant malaise, bear your sores rather than risk losing your way. Your need for organised chaos, sneaking scoops of butter onto your tongue the moment my head is turned, and my tendency to dissect every situation, if only to keep me sane in this epic guessing game. Without knowing how or when or from where I have stopped dreaming of escape and begun wanting to remember each moment where I feel at home with you.
4: Another recent anthology which gave a space to black writers was co-edited by Jessica Trainer. Along with Stephen Ray, she edited Correspondences, an anthology to call for the end to direct provision, published by the Stinging Fly Press. This anthology paired up writers, photographers and visual artists in the direct provision system with other Irish artists and writers.
6: You know even as an artist I can be suspicious of anthologies because I think they can be a little bit problematic in their nature in that it's a lovely idea to to seek these stories and to ask people to come together and share them but they're quite ephemeral you know you put the stories in the book and then it's done and and what do people really gain from it and yes it keeps the conversation going and I do believe in the value of that yes hopefully it can spark empathy and but what are the long lasting after effects for the people who have been asked to come out of this very isolating and isolated situation at their lives in direct provision and to share their stories and then are are kind of left in the situation and so. I suppose myself and Stephen had a chat about how we might try and mitigate that aspect of the anthology a little bit. And we came up with the idea of trying to facilitate some kind of connection, dialogue, hopefully friendship between people in or who have come through direct provision and um, and Irish writers, uh, because We kind of thought, wouldn't it be nice if there were some friendships and connections and relationships that could come from this book, which could outlast the book itself? Um, And I thought that might be more useful almost than the fundraising aspect of the book itself. So I suppose if I were to talk about standing on the shoulders of giants with this anthology, uh, those giants would be the various different local initiatives, community groups, activist groups that do work to welcome people in direct provision and integrate them a little bit into the community through various different means. Um, And then initiatives, literary initiatives like Fiction at the Friary. And I think that that's where Canyo heard about the call out for this.
4: Canyon Clamini is the poet Jessica paired up with and her poem, Scars.
6: Which I just think is really resonant for Irish society as a whole, um, because I think we are a society dealing with scars um, and dealing with the scars of various different institutional abuses and the various different... various different injuries we've inflicted on ourselves as a nation in the hundred years or so since the birth of the state. Um, And and it's very hard not to see direct provision as a kind of a continuation of a really negative dynamic within the past century of Irish history. Um, And I thought it was just really wonderful to have a voice in, in her very kind of clear, measured and thoughtful way talking about what a scar means.
7: Scars. They might be physical, they might be emotional, but they are scars. Not talking nor showing them is my way of moving on. Revisiting those emotions and events is a torture. I decided to bury. How many more times do I have to tell the painful buried skies for you to believe? I need to show no proof to show that I have emotional scars, but it does not mean they are not there. Physical scars heal and sometimes leave no mark. Emotional scars are always raw. Anything that touches them, they bleed. Their wound does not heal easily. Not seeing them does not mean they are not there. You learn to live with them. You learn ways of not touching and wounding them. You learn to move on and live happy with them. After all, they are scars.
4: Kanyo Krumini, Reading Scars, her poem published in the Correspondences Anthology. Kanyo is a writer originally from South Africa who now lives in the Lodge, Direct Provision Centre in Clonakilty County Cork. She tells me she's been writing and storytelling from a young age.
7: Back home, there's a time on the radio where there's, um, it's a play, kind of. That plays, maybe it's from seven to half seven. When I was growing up, that was the time where all the family members would be sitting together and the story would be read, whether it's a book or somebody who just created a story. And it used to be an episode. So the next day, there will be the following episode, the follow on, on the story. So mostly, when I listened, that how it started, well, then my family members, whether my mom or my father or my sisters were not there, I would tell the story as it is. And then it grew in a way that any book I read, then I'll be able to just replay and retell for everybody. Then I got passion on that. So when I came here in Ireland, uh, it dies off, kind of, and through here in provision, because you have time, you have mixed feelings, you have everything, you have people that sometimes, not sometimes, mostly you don't trust. My paper and my my pen was the only thing that I could trust, and I would write whether the feelings, uh, many people come, They come with their problems, they come with whatever that they want to talk about, then when I have time by myself, something motivationally will come out of those feelings that somebody has. Just talk about something, whether it's emotions, whether whatever problem they have, then I have time to just write it down. Something will just come up, then I will write about everything. What I have experienced is that there's time of doing nothing. There's time where you you are always not okay, cause you know that as an adult you're supposed to be living. You suppose you have goals. You have responsibilities of being an adult, and those responsibilities are taken away from you. And you just sit, and you know you have children that need to be fed, and you need to be a role model to your children. And you you are just sitting and sitting. most of us, some people who are newly they got a permission to work, but not everybody got it. So through that, it's either you can drown or you can rise above, and you'll be able to use that time to your own benefit. So it it is hard, like really hard to keep your writing on because normally I used to, after the children go to bed, which is late, obviously it's one room, when when they go to sleep, then when I have that time that I ended up creating for myself, which is me time, I would be able to do something. But some days you'll be really tired or you have other issues that you have to deal with. Sometimes at night, I'll wake up around three. If my mind was too busy, then I have something like, something will come in my mind and I'll get up and get the paper and just write it and finish and go back to bed. So I believe you'll find a way that works for you, but it not easy.
6: talking to a number of people who've contributed to correspondences over the past while and and trying to listen to what they're saying and um, we all have to remember that it's incredibly it's incredibly difficult for a person to be asked to share the story of their trauma again and again Now, we have to weigh that up and say, is it worse to not hear the stories or is it worse to ask a person to repeat the stories? But I would say to people, do your research and try and find out what these people have been asked to share before. Um, Various writers and artists, are you asking them to repeat something that they've already done or are you asking them to share something new? And you need to treat them exactly like you would treat any writer and making sure that you are aware of the challenges they face in terms of things like childcare, accommodation, travel. And, you know, uh, there's an old saying writers die of exposure. Writers and artists in direct provision are far more vulnerable to that exposure, than in the negative sense of the word, than most writers, and of course you should always pay the artist anyway. Um, but it is just something to, to think about. Um, I get calls from a lot of different researchers saying, send me a load of names of wonderful artists in direct provision and I I know that they are coming from a good place um, and they're coming from the place that I came from when I first put out the call for submissions. But I think a little bit more deep thinking should be done. And there are plenty of times when I wish I'd done a little bit more deep thinking. So it's not that I got everything right. um, And it's not that this anthology got everything right. Um, But I do think it's worth thinking about what are you going to offer this person that has a lasting impact for the good? Um, and and how are you going to engage with them afterwards? Is this just going to be a flash in the pan thing? And um, Sarah Clancy is going to murder me for quoting her again and again on this. But when I went to her for advice um, as, a, as a friend and a wonderful activist at the beginning of this process, she said to me that she often gets asked to do kind of creative writing workshops and things like that in direct provision centres. And she said to me in her wonderful uh in a wonderful blunt way, would you give a writing workshop in a Magdalene laundry? You know? <laughs> and if the answer is no, you know what, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to make the status quo a little bit easier or are you trying to disrupt the status quo? And in a way, that's why we chose the the little kind of subheader for the anthology, an anthology to call for an end to direct provision. Now we knew that an anthology couldn't make that happen, but we we were also really aware, myself and Stephen, that we needed to be contributing to that very defined end goal. And um, this is not just about making things nicer for people. This is about saying the system is broken, start again.
4: Gráinne O'Toole and Fenula Clark set up Ski and Press in 2017 and have published two books This Hostile Life by Malata Oce Okari and Why the Moon Travels by Owen de Bardoon. I talked to Gráinne about why they set up Ski and Press, especially for underrepresented voices in Irish literature.
3: Well, what's really interesting is This Hostile Life and Why the Moon Travels. The interest in those books has been enormous. Like it surpassed ours. This Hostile Life blew us away how much interest in it and it's a consistent interest like the book is constantly being bought and Owen's book before it was even published people were contacting us about it and and you know it's all different walks of life from universities to uh, book lovers to book clubs you know the interest is there the audiences are there and I think you know we we just need to reach out more and never assume that different audiences don't read. You know, we do the analytics, who really reads books and who reads these kind of books. But I think what we've learned is there is an audience. People want to hear what's, you know, they want to read different things. They want to be transported into different lives and different experiences that connect with them, that are relatable as well. But also, you know, like a lot of people said to me about Owen's book, God, it's so relatable, but yet so different, so distinct. Familiar, but distinct. And I think uh, that connected with people and they were really interested to learn more about um, Traveller culture and their way of thinking and doing things and the oral tradition. So I think there's huge scope. Well, what we've learned in the last couple of years is that there's very few pathways into writing and writing is a difficult game business for anybody, any creative person. Um, but I think particularly from writers from underrepresented communities in society, there are additional challenges. Um, we reached out to writers and heard things like, you know, finance, isolation in rural areas, but also added they don't have the networks. They don't have the know in Ireland um, to advance their work. Also, people just don't have the resources for the time and investment it needs to develop their work. Um, to the standard for publication as well. and There's also the layer, too, of discrimination. You know, the people don't see themselves represented in Irish literature. They don't see that the structures are easy for them to access. Also, it's limited. It's very limited outside Dublin what you can access in terms of uh, writing courses or supports. So um, all of those factors combined, and I suppose literature represents the structures of society as well. It you know, there are we know there's lack of opportunities, unequal access. This is true of literature as well. There needs to be structured professional pathways into the writing scene, into getting published in Ireland. And uh, particularly for underrepresented writers, writers from underrepresented communities, because you know, that they have additional barriers to face. We all know that. So what we want to do, um Skeen itself will be diversifying. Niddy Zak will be joining us in January 2021 and she has developed a professional development program that gives writers professional pathways into publication. And she'll be rolling that out as part of Skeen Press in the next couple of years, um, where we'd be testing a programme, seeing how it responds to writers' needs, and and trying to mainstream that in some way, so that there is something there for writers that's real, that's structured, that resources them, that helps them realise their creative vision, um, and ultimately get published. This
4: Play It Forward initiative with Ski and Press and Nidhi Zak Ariape will be up and running later in the year. Keep an eye on their website for details. There does seem to be more of an interest in supporting ethnic minority and underrepresented voices. Nidhi Zak, Aria Epe again.
0: The Arts Council with their equality and um, human rights and diversity policy has placed a priority on, on addressing these issues and I know they're working really hard to um, consult with people from various groups in order to figure out how best to approach these ideas and we've also had lots of consultations with other resource organizations you know across the arts and, and it is incredibly encouraging to see.
3: It needs to happen at a lot of levels but I think there is an openness in the literature world and um, definitely there's a lot of support now for um, diverse programs. We've got funded um, by the Arts Council we wouldn't be able to deliver this programme without them. We wouldn't have been able to deliver um, own book without support from the Arts Council. So they are committed to it and that, that is really important at this time. Yeah, absolutely.
4: Some of the groups that kept popping up, which could help new writers looking for support and opportunities, were Fighting Words, Fiction at the Friary and Words Ireland. And Chandrika also mentioned Origins Ella.
2: I mean, the main one to talk about is uh, Origins Ella, um, run by... Karen Miano like they they've made such a huge impact um with queer black and indigenous and voices from people of color like oh my god like they've done so much their program in the Dublin fringe I think was absolutely brilliant and they're just pushing it out there that there's this community and they're really talented
0: The publishing industry just as in every other industry we need to reflect sort of the contemporary makeup of the society in which we live if we want to be able to say that these are the stories that are sort of defining our times you know and i don't think that any one particular group can be privileged over another if we are looking to like accurately reflect what is happening and and the changes that are taking place. So I think it's in everybody's interest that we do work hard to make sure that voices that have historically been marginalised are sort of given a platform and not just to talk about issues concerning, you know, racism or discrimination all of these things, because I think while that's important, it also pigeonholes people.
1: I remember this one panel discussion, I was the only black uh, woman in it.
0: KCK,
4: who we heard from at the beginning.
1: And I was like, and I was the youngest and they all had years and they were all men, all white men. And it was just interesting because also sometimes then you feel, um, because also I think it's, me feeling much younger. So I feel like I don't have much industry experience and I don't have, they would have receipts because they would know the receipts, but I'm still learning the receipts. So I can't really be like on book da 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 and, you know, do something like that. So, but I find that in most rooms, um, I'm not sure I'm satisfied with the diversity. I mean, we could do so much better. We could do so much better because um, adding a black person is just like one thing there's so many layers to Irishness like crazy layers and it's insane to me that those narratives haven't even been explored or haven't been kind of put to the table and I would love I would love just to see all the different um the different images of what we look like what Irishness looks like
5: both ends, you know, white Irish and the new Irish, um, the settled Irish and the immigrants, like, I guess we're all on the on the one side and the right side, which is positive social change and seeing and creating uh, just a better Ireland.
2: Stargazing with my mother We've seen stars fall before, she says over the phone as we peer out over rooftops from different sides of Europe looking for a blip or a spark against the blue trying not to mistake a rocket for a star You need binoculars, she says and I remember how she demonstrated before handing me a pair as the hail comet blazed across a New Delhi sky Look, over there, she exclaimed one time pointing to a needle streak of white as we stood outside a Swiss hotel, not caring what people would think of two Indian women gazing upwards into the night.
4: Thanks to the poets and editors who contributed to this documentary. Nidhi Zak Aria Efe, KCK, Chandrika Narayanan Mohan, Jiamaka Enya Amadi, Jessica Trainer, Kanyon Kamini, and Gronya Otu. Signing in, The New Irish Writers was produced by myself, Barbara Flood, and funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland under the Sound and Vision Scheme.